0: Well, today also we're going to take some time to uh, share together in the Lord's Table. But before we do, could you open up to Matthew 6? We're continuing on the Sermon on the Mount. And today's message is a message I want to give. um, I want to open up with a scenario. I want you to think through this. Because our topic's really important. It's a topic that we should talk about more than we do. But it's hard to because I think there is a spiritual blinder that goes over us when we talk about this, and you'll understand in a second. And so to try to defeat that, I want to give you a scenario. I'm going to give you three situations, and I want you in your mind to figure out what is similar about these situations. One is going to be Kobe Bryant, one is going to be Ken Vanderwest, and one is going to be a kid on your couch at home. So Kobe Bryant. If you're an NBA fan, Kobe Bryant is known as one of the greatest NBA basketball players ever to play. They will say he's one of the top ten. The thing about Kobe Bryant, people said, is he was a gym rat. Before practice, he'd spend two hours just shooting by himself, and after practice, he would go back to the gym and spend two more hours just shooting all by himself. They said he loved being in the gym. In fact, he would hire two guys just to rebound the basketball, throw the ball back to him. They paid him, I think, up to twenty dollars to $30,000 just to rebound the basketball so he could just shoot. And they said he just loved the gym. Ken Vanderwest. Okay, so our office is downtown Kent City. If you walk into our office, on the right is the desk where Jesse, the receptionist, sits. On the end of Jesse's desk is a bowl. And in that bowl are Hershey Kisses. They have aluminum foil over them. And often I'll walk in, and that bowl will be filled with Hershey Kisses. I'll go up to my office, study, talk on the phone, come down for lunch. Sometimes when I come down for lunch, that bowl will only have three Hershey Kisses (laughs) left. I'll look in that bowl and go, how does that happen? Does it just disappear? One day I was walking down the stairs slowly, silently. I peered around the edge and I saw out of Ken Vanderwest's West's office this ghost that came out real quick, grabbed some Hershey Kisses, went back in silently to the office and closed his door. So I snuck up and looked through the window and there was Pastor Ken slowly peeling a Hershey Kiss and popping in that chocolate and smiling devilishly to himself third scenario is a kid on the couch. Sometimes I have children in my house and they'll have a phone. And on that phone they will start going like this on the couch. Say, what are you doing? Nothing. Could I see your phone? No, you cannot see my phone. Why can I I not see your phone? Nope, I don't want you to see my phone. Are you Snapchatting? Maybe. Are you, do you have a streak going on? Maybe, who knows what a streak is? Oh, you, see, some people are advanced. Scott, did she, you know that they, your wife knows what a streak is. How do you know that? Aha. So I'll say, who's, could I see your Snapchat? No, why not? Because I don't want you seeing. All three scenarios, there's two very similar things happen. The first one is this. Each scenario, Kobe Bryant, Ken VanderWest, and the kid on the couch are doing something they love. Something that brings them joy. The second thing is they do it in secret. Because they don't want anybody to scrutinize, criticize, or mock them. And you could actually say it like this. Here's my my whole point this morning is going to be, what you do in secret, what you do in secret, is what you really care the most about. And the reason you do some things in secret is when your heart is so into something, when you are captivated by something, you don't want to be analyzed. You don't want to be scrutinized. You don't want people to evaluate you. I can remember if I liked a girl in high school, I did not tell my sisters. I had... (laughs) four other sisters. I had one that was in my same grade. If my sister did not like a girl I like, she would harass that girl the whole rest of the week in class. So I would not tell my sisters because that was personal to me. It was not something I would wanted to show off. Kobe Bryant does things people love to do and he gets paid for it. And I know a lot of people do, who don't get paid for it that go to the gym for hours on their own. And the point of this this morning is, what you love, you will do it in the secret, because it's so personal to you. And I think that's what Jesus is talking about today. And if you notice, starting in verse 5, he's going to talk about something that he wants us to do in secret, something he wants us to love. And I'm afraid we don't view it this way. We think it's something to show off about. Why do people do things in public? Because they want to be seen. They want to be known by that. Why, do, why does a boy and girl kiss in public? Like you'll have youth group and it'll be very obvious. They're sitting on each other's lap and kissing in public. Because I'm not sure it's as much about the relationship as they want everybody to know they have a relationship. It's a big difference. Now let's read verse 5, because this week we're going to go into the other side of practical righteousness. Last week we talked about giving, and you're not supposed to let your right hand know what your left hand's doing, or vice versa, because you'll get your reward here if you want to be seen in public. That's what we talked about last week. This week we're going to talk about doing something in secret, which is probably the most important thing to do who's a lover of God, and that's prayer. My whole theme this morning is going to be this. All God really wants is to be wanted by those who really want him, and those who really want him will find him in secret. Read verse 5. Jesus says when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. A hypocrite means a two-faced actor, somebody in the outside who's really not same on the inside. And when you pray, you must not like be, be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. We're going to put prayer and fasting together, because what fasting is, it's prayer, but I'd say it's more intentional prayer, more focused prayer prayer, and we'll talk about that in a second. But what you do in secret, honestly, is what you care about most. So we're going to talk about prayer. We're going to define it. We're going to talk about what prayer is not, and then we're going to talk about what prayer is, and then we're going to celebrate the Lord's table together. So we're first going to define prayer. My goal today is simple when I define this. I want to take the burden of prayer off your back. I want you to want to meet with God. It's my conviction, far too much guilt about prayer keeps us from praying. We are loaded down by guilt about prayer, especially me. My job is to pray. And often I'll think, I don't pray enough. And then I'll say, oh, I feel so guilty about not praying enough. And when I feel guilty about praying not enough, I just don't pray. So let's get rid of the guilt. Let's get rid of this responsibility, and we need to view it as something completely different. Here's what it is defined. Prayer is a conversation, it's a time of communion, with my Father who lives in heaven. That's really all it is. No more, no less. And it's not less, it's like more. Somebody's talking after the first service, they said, well, conversation usually goes both ways. With God, I don't hear him. Let him speak first with his words. Then take what he says and respond to his words. And then it comes as a two-way conversation. But it's a conversation. And I want to um, give you the foundation of this conversation, and this may be the most important part of what I'm saying today, this is, I've, I've said this often and it's something you cannot, you cannot move past. The very first class I ever had at seminary, I walked into class, we sat down and my professor for five minutes kept saying this, God is a person, God is a person, God is a person. God is a person, a being who lives. He's not a power. He's not like the force on Star Wars that if I can bend the force my way, I can make things happen. He's not a force. He's not somebody I need to use the right words with or have zeal. He's not somebody who I conjure. Dear God! He's not a force. He's a person. Do you ever go up to your dad and go, Dad, will you give me this? Son, I'm right here. Can you talk to me? You know? not magic words. And God is not a possession to own. I think sometimes we think God is somebody that I manipulate to my own purposes. Have you ever tried to do that with your spouse? It's not working. Trying to use the words to get my spouse to do what I want to do. If I use positive words with my spouse, I can make them do things for me. God's a person. So he has his own will, his own desires, his own wants. So sometimes he will say no. Like so when you say, and I pray, and he says no, why? Because he's not a machine. He's a person. That's the point. And that's my whole objective is to get you to pray to a person who does live, and he lives in heaven right now. And I think he sees us right now. I'm positive of it. Like I often imagine if I could just rip this guy in half, I want him him to smile. I want him to be pleased with what I'm saying. And imagine, he can read your mind. So how you even react to his word being preached isn't about me and you, it's about you and him. So let's go what prayer is not. Look at verse 5 and look at verse 7. He's very clear. And this is Jesus, the man who prayed all the time. This is what he said. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners that they may be seen. So when you'd go to the synagogue, the synagogue's like the church, but they would have a place where the rabbi teaches and people would gather around. Most of the time they would stand. But sometimes people would come in with, you know, the Pharisees would come with their, beautiful robes, and they would pray elegant prayers, and they usually pray where everybody would see them, and everybody gets impressed by that. And Jesus says, don't do that. And then when they would go to the synagogue, they'd make sure people would see them, so they'd stop in the middle of the street, and they would pray, wow, they're holy, that guy must be holy. Remember when my wife and I went to Russia, we'd meet these Orthodox priests Orthodox priests in Russia, they'd never wash their hair. Their hair grows long. Their beards grow long. They wear these big beads and are very pious. And they look down like that. I remember asking one, tell me about your relationship with God. What, what portions of the Bible excite you? And he didn't really have answers. All he said is, I just pray to these pictures, these icons, and they are very holy. He talks in very holy language. Why are you doing that? Do you talk to your dad like that? Like you, Your dad's in a room with you, but you talk to his picture. Very holy, Dad. How are you today? Very good today. You know, like, what is? My dad would say, what's wrong with you, son? Something's wrong with you. <laughs> He's your dad. He's your father in heaven. And I'll say that over and over again. Look at verse 7. Jesus said, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. So here's what prayer is not in four phrases. Number one prayer is not an opportunity to show others how devout I am. Look how devout I am. Look how great I am at prayer. I am a prayer warrior. What does that mean? What does that mean? It's not a competition. So that's the second thing. It's not a way to compete with with others for God's affection. It'd be kind of like, let's say, my dad often would have people come over to the house. My friends would come over, and often my dad was a very gregarious guy. He liked to talk to people, and sometimes my friends would come. He'd have them sit at the kitchen table and have them eat peanuts and talk to them. Now, imagine my friend comes over and he sits at the table with my dad. Then he comes outside to shoot baskets with me on the basketball court. And my friend says, i got to tell you, I had a great talk with your dad. I said, yeah, my dad's a friendly guy. No, no, no. I had a talk with your dad. Your dad and I, we talked. Yeah, my dad likes No, I mean when we talk, we really talk. He understood me. Have you ever ever met somebody who says, when I pray to God, I mean I pray to God. So I don't pray to God? He's my dad too. Well, you don't understand. When I meet with God, I really meet with God. What does that mean? He's our father. He's our dad. It's not a competition. Nobody's better than anybody else. It's like my sister's. Each had a different relationship with my dad, but he wasn't more of my dad than than them. He's my father. It's not a sermon or a teaching tool. It's not an opportunity to teach God about himself. Have you ever heard people pray to God about, Dear God, Father, you are the Alpha and Omega. You are the atoning sacrifice of the sins of the world. He knows that. He knows. So who are you talking to when you pray? Because I know some people won't pray because they feel they're not good at prayer. Because they'll hear people pray like that and they'll be like, I'll never be able to pray like that. But you're talking to your dad. You can talk to your dad, can't you? It's not a time to teach others. It really isn't. Sometimes it is a reminder to say, God, I know you're sovereign, which means that you take care of everything and I'm scared about tomorrow. Will you help me? That's okay. But if you're there to teach, wait for the sermon or wait for the class. Don't do it in prayer. We're talking to God. Because sometimes people will use that time to show off. Don't show off. I remember one time, my wife doesn't like when I tell the story, when she went to Moody, truthfully, I saw her. She caught my eye to me. She's the most beautiful woman who ever existed. But there's these guys that would hang around her and her friends, And they liked to hang around her and her friends because they wanted to be seen with her and her friends. So they put their arms around them because they liked how they felt when they were with them. So really, they liked my wife, not because they liked my wife, because they liked themselves. And they liked how they felt around there. And I wanted to wring their neck and rip them apart because I wanted to say, you're not there for her, you're there for you. Some people pray to God for themselves. Look at me. It's not what prayer is. Stop competing. Stop using God for your righteousness. I know that you're probably like, why are you so mad about it? Because I grew up in a religion. That's all it was. That's all it was. And that's where this fourth one comes in. It's not mathematical or physics experiment. Verse 7, when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they, they think they will be heard for their many words. So I'd pray with my grandfather. Come on, Chris, you need to pray with me. Grandpa, are you having a good day? Oh, we're not. We're here to pray. We're not here to have a good day. Okay. <laughs> here, here's, a, here's some beats. Hail Mary, full of grace, Lord, with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is of thy womb, Jesus, Holy Mary, Mother of God. Pray for sinners, not the over the death of death. men. Hail Mary, full of grace, Lord, with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Then we say that ten times in our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is. In heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses we forgive those trespasses. Somebody in the first service said, when you were going through that, you are mumbling. I didn't hear a word you say. We well, you quit mumbling when you're preaching? I said, that's exactly right. It's like mumbling. Those are vain words. I think God's going to hear me because I've said so many words. He's not a math formula. He's not also physics. If I pray the right prayer, put a hedge of protection around the devil. So I use force, I use passion, and I use the right phrase, hedge of protection. Does that mean bushes pop up and hold the devil inside? What does that mean? I don't know, but it sounds fantastic. Can I just say, Dad, the devil's killing me. I'm tempted, I'm scared. Can you help me out? Can you stop him? Yes, son, I'll take care of you. It's not magic words. So I'd say it like this. Anytime you put the word must in front of prayer, it's really not prayer. Well, you must have a quiet time. A quiet time is a good thing, but you don't have to have a quiet time. It's not a magic formula. You must pray for more than two hours. Well, why? Because if you're not hurting, it's not worth it. It's not real. you got to sacrifice. That's, that's not true. Prayer must be miserable. Ask my grandpa. Why? Because that's how I grew up. You must say the word just 17 times. Just, Lord, just. Just help. Just You don't have to, you don't have to say what other people are saying. It's a conversation with your dad. And you must grimace when you sing. Are you okay over there saying, i just, what, what's the matter? Be like, dad, if I'm in my house, dad, I just love you. Dad, I love you. I know, Chris, what's wrong with you? You okay? And I'm. I know you're probably saying, Chris, you're mocking people. I'm not. Here's what I want to do. I want to free you up to let you know prayer is not a competition. It's not a show. It's God who really wants to meet with you. And you can meet any way you want. I know some people that will not pray because they really don't think they know how to pray. I just don't use the right words. I feel so so inadequate. Why? He's your dad. And when you realize there's no formula to gain blessing, you'll be so free. Some people really believe if I complain in my prayers. I'm using negative words, and negative words will change reality, so I need to have all my words be positive words. If I use positive words, it will bend reality in a way that I... That's not true! He's he's a person. He's a person. There's so much of that, I'm going to call it, it's garbage. Christianity is all over the place. Name it, claim it. Name what? God does what he wants to do. Let him do it. If he wants to heal, he will. If he doesn't, can I trust him that he has a purpose for that? Or I didn't say it the right way. He's a person. He's not a magic formula. And I know you're like, quit harping on that. I got to. So what is prayer? Jesus is very clear. Look at verse 6 and 8. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door. They would say, in in the, when he wrote this, the houses were mostly wide open, but there's a couple rooms that had locks on them. So and the whole point is, this is a personal thing. It's like Kobe Bryant two hours before practice, or it's like Ken in his room getting some chocolate. Yeah, just imagine that. Ken in his room getting some chocolate. and Then you'll pray more. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father. Your Father who's in heaven, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And one more, verse 8, Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need. Three times Jesus used what word? Father. That's how Jesus saw prayer. I'm talking to Dad. So you could say the definition for Jesus is, it's my opportunity to meet with the God of the universe in his house. I get to meet with the God of the universe who tossed the stars in the sky, and I get to meet with him in his house. And I can talk to him about anything, at any time. And he's always open for business. I was reading through this, and Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, The outstanding characteristic of all the most saintly people the world has ever known has been that they have not only spent much time in private prayer, but have also delighted in it. And I would say, I think the reason they spent a lot of time in private prayer is because they delighted in it. Because they really enjoyed it. There was pleasure. When I went to seminary, Moody, we, we did have this teacher. His name was Dr. Thrasher. I might have, you might have heard me talk about him. But this guy, he was a guy that I knew knew God. There's, have you ever met those people? You know they really know God. It's not fake. You just know they know God. And halfway through the year, one student out of the blue said, Dr. Thrasher, I know we're on another subject, but can I ask you a question? He's a very kind man. he said, yeah, what, what do you want to know? And the student said, how do you pray? And it was a powerful question, It was shocking. I never heard that in class. He said, well, you really want to know? It's kind of boring. And the whole, the whole class was kind of moving forward, because I want to know how this guy prays. So here's what he said. And it just shocked me. He said, um, well, here's what I do. I ask him to wake me up in the morning. I normally set my alarm just so I won't miss work, but I say, God, when do you want me to get up? Wake me up in the morning. He'll usually wake me up two hours before my alarm goes off. Then what I do is I just memorize one verse, and then I walk around a neighborhood and I talk that verse back as I talk to God about it. Some people think I mumble to myself all the time, but I might walk around the neighborhood about two hours, just that verse, and I'll pray it back to God. and he, he said something, too, that was fascinating. He goes, sometimes I am so distraught, all I can get out of my mouth is I love you. And he said, and, and that's enough. That's enough. When I, I wish sometimes I, like I was thinking about myself when I was first a Christian, I, I didn't know enough, so I did things that were weird. And I wish I'd, I, I'd go back to him. I would just take my dog Grizz, go out in the woods, throw sticks to him, and I'd pray three songs, the same three songs, and then I'd take a King James Bible, open up to the book of Psalms, and I'd read the Psalms in an English accent. And I loved it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters, restores my soul, and it did something to me, because it was it was joyful to me, it was pleasant but for some reason when you get older you think you're not allowed to have joy in what you do. Why not? I was talking to my sister, I wrote this book about my dad that I just put out and my sister, yes, two days ago texted me and she goes, how do you remember, how did you have all those events with dad? I, I didn't get to do as much with dad and I said, Gina that's because you were older and you were always busy. I was a young kid and I was never busy and because I wasn't busy I had time for dad, and it hit me. I'm too busy, so I don't have time for dad. So Jesus goes into giving us a pattern of how to pray. And uh, we find it starting in verse 9. So he says, then pray like this. But I want you to notice something, here's what we, 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 sometimes when we go into this prayer we forget we just read verse 7, look at verse 7, and when you pray do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do for they think they will be heard for their many words. So when we in verse 9 we start with many words, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, and I'm sure many of you know the Our Father and often we think we are doing, we are praying when we say the Our Father. I think it's a, it's a pattern. Jesus is using it as a template that deals with every issue we need to pray about. And it's a way to jump off of the springboard into a life of prayer. So here it is, Our Father. And I think it is good to memorize. I'm, I'm okay with that, but don't stop there. So the Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, it's the object we're praying to. God is Our Father who right now lives in heaven and our job is to make his name glorious, hallow hallow means reverential respectful, honor so that's who we pray to then Jesus says he wants us to be hopeful, his kingdom's coming don't be in despair when you pray and it's good to linger on that for a while like God I tell you what I hate these politics <laughs> it's killing me will you come back I'm coming back, Chris. Oh, I can't wait. So I think hope is given right away to say, this God who's in heaven is coming back. Everything's in control. Don't be be anxious. So then he gives us some things to pray about. Our purpose on earth. What is our purpose on earth? Well, his kingdom is coming. But he wants you to start bringing it here now by doing his will. And when you do his will, your piece of earth is going to be a little bit like heaven. Heaven's going to be a beautiful place. Golden streets, all of that. Fruit ripe 12 months out of the year. But also heaven's going to be a place where people are full of grace and kind. And full of joy. Can you do those three things now? That's the point bring heaven to your earth so pray through that and God will show you where you need to change and where your house needs to change pray God I want your will to be done then he gives us what we all need first thing we need is grace and that means daily provision grace is God's daily provisions I know we don't deserve them but God wants to give them so give us today what we need God and then Forgive us our debts. That's mercy. I've sinned. I need you to forgive me. So that's why in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, it says, go boldly into the throne of grace so you can find grace and mercy in our time of need. That's what that is. Grace, daily bread, mercy, forgiveness. Then he leads us to our own life. If God gives you mercy, you need to do the same thing. You want to be like God? Be like So we pray for our own hearts. And then he brings the reality. This isn't an easy world. I'm tempted, I sin, and Satan's alive. And I need God to help me. To protect me. To fight for me. Because I'm weak on my own. So that's a pattern of prayer. And if you use that, Sometimes I feel guilty, I use that pattern a lot. Jesus gave it to us, use it, utilize it, it's amazing. You want to see something fascinating, read John 17. When Jesus has the high priestly prayer, he goes through this whole thing with his father. It's fascinating, it's really amazing. Actually, he's talking mostly about glory, the hallowed part. So then I want to go on more focused prayer, which is called fasting. That's what verses 16 to 18 is about. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. So fasting, what is fasting? And should we do it? Fasting is abstaining from food or other regular habits for a season for the sake of spiritual focus. The objective of fasting is the recognition of need. God, I really, really need you now. I always do. But right now, in this situation, I need you. And God will prompt your heart when you need to fast. And it's not something you have to do. It's something that God motivates you to do. Fasting could be abstaining from food. It could be abstaining from watching entertainment for a while. I remember I was challenged one time, get rid of sports for two weeks and write down the things you do instead. The books you read about God, maybe the songs you sing or the people you talk to. And it's for a season. You don't have to do it your whole life. But you do it for the purpose because you need him. There's a passage, it's in Mark 9, 27-29. The disciples went on to Mount Transfiguration. They they saw amazing things. They came back down and there was a boy with a demon and they couldn't drive out the demon. They said that Jesus came down, drove out the demon, they looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, how come we couldn't do it? And he goes, because there's some things in life that you cannot do without prayer and fasting. Jesus is saying there's a spiritual dimension to our reality that we just can't fight on our own. We can't. We just can't. And there's some situations that you can't handle. So we fast. Three things about fasting. And by the way, this word in Mark 9 is only used three other times. It's also used in James 5.17 where it says, The prayers of an earnest man accomplish. Much, where Elijah asked for it not to rain, and it didn't for three years. Don't fast to fast. Fast to focus. Some people will say, hey, every Friday I'm going to eat fish. Why? Because that's what you're supposed to do. No, you're fasting to fast. Fast to focus. Fast to cry out to God. Fasting doesn't change things. God does. I think God uses fasting to actually make me more dependent. So when I don't eat food I get hunger. I take that hunger pain. That hunger pain is to remind me that without God I've got hunger and everything. I need him. The point of fasting is to focus me and my need and my dependence on God. And Then the third thing is when you fast be natural. Look what he says in 17. When you fast anoint your head and wash your face. That means put on some shampoo, look good, don't walk around. Oh, oh. What's the matter with you, Chris? I'm fasting. I'm so holy. Look at me. So Stop that. Keep it secret. Keep it safe. That's the point. Right, Aaron? Keep it secret. Keep it safe. So before we go into time with God. I just want to bring one illustration. I think we'll wrap it up. Jesus says if you go to God, he's a good father. So if you ask him for bread, do you think he's going to give you a stone? A dad wouldn't do that. If you ask him for fish, do you think he'll give you a snake? That's thinking about being a good, good father that God is. And God says he's a father better than we are fathers. I can remember one time, I had two kids, I have four kids, Ginger and Joseph needed school supplies Jasmine was really young and they needed to get folders and they needed to get some erasers. You know those new pink erasers? I love the smell of a good new pink eraser. It smells stun Doesn't it smell so good? Love it. I had to give them coloring, pencils. So I told Michelle, alright, I'll take them to Myers, get them some stuff. I'll bring Gio along with me. And Gio wasn't going to school. He was little at the time. And Michelle stayed home with Jasmine. So I can just remember going with Joe and J- Ginger they put some folders in there, some markers, and some colored pencils. They needed it for school. Then we're going around, we go to the next aisle, and there was an aisle full of little footballs, Nerf footballs, little teeny ones. And Gio, my son's obsessed with football, said, Dad, can I have a football? One of those footballs. said, yeah, grab a football. So he has this football, and throw he just throw it in the backyard all day long. But I knew he loved it. So a good dad knows what their kids need but he will also get them what they want. A good dad who lives in heaven knows what you need. He'll also get you what you want. So pray to him. Talk to him. He's amazing. I do want to I want you to focus on one more thing though. And this is when we're going to go to the Lord's table. If I can have the deacons come on up. I want you to look at verse 14 and 15. Because that's what this whole table's about. I'll read it and then I'll explain it. Darren, we need you to. No hiding. So verse 14 for if you forgive others their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. Question, what did it cost God to forgive me? That's what this table's all about. We have bread and we have juice. Bread represents a broken body on the cross to forgive you of everything you owe. And the juice represents the blood that God shed so that you can have a new relationship. So The old relationship was one built on the law. If you sin, you die. God's angry. He's furious. He kind of upset him. So what he did is Jesus paid the penalty to bring you back to God and now God said, "All right, I got a new arrangement with you since it's all been paid. So when Jesus died on the cross, he paid past, present, and future sins. Alright, my son paid all that. I got a new deal with you. Let's have a good relationship now. And it's by faith. So the juice represents a new relationship, a new covenant in my blood, is what Jesus says. Okay, so he did that with us. Then he goes, verse 15, if you don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. What he's basically saying, if God did all this for you, why do you hold grudges? Why do you have God's Old Testament mindset? You sin against me and you die. I'm going to hold never going to forgive you. You cross me once, cross me twice, I'll never talk to you again. Why do you do that? God did this. That's the point. That's what he's saying. And why don't you offer new relationships to say you know what? I'm going to start over with people I don't get along with. Because God started over with you. That's why we do this.